Hi, everybody, and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 57 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. You can also follow RV Miles on social media. We are over at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Jason and I, along with our newly minted 11-year-old Jack, Ethan, and Henry, are at OurWanderingFamily.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. On this episode, are you considering going full-time? Why, yes, Jason, I am. What should I do? If you are, you're going to want to listen as we talk about domicile states and how to choose one. A domicile state, if you go full-time, is the state that you declare your residence in. And there are a lot of pitfalls involved in choosing a domicile state. So we're going to talk about how we chose what to do and what others choose to do and and what are some of the... The top three. Yeah. The the, big three. The big three and the positives and, uh, and negatives of each. That and we have an update on our travels to Oklahoma City. We've just left Oklahoma City. We're back in Kansas City for a week, and then we're making our way up towards Omaha next. We had a really great time in Oklahoma City, and we've got a few things that we want to share with you about our travels there. Including a really great pizza recommendation, because (laughs) what would be a destination discussion without pizza? Yeah. But first, this episode is sponsored by L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean believes the more time you spend outside together, the better. That's why they design products that make it easier to take longer walks, have deeper talks, and never worry about the weather. Discover clothing, outerwear, footwear, and gear made for every type of adventure with the outside built right in. Because on the inside, we're all outsiders. And you too can be an outsider with L.L. Bean. I just got my bean boots. My very first did. pair of bean boots. I know you did. And uh, if you haven't seen bean boots before, if you don't know what they are, they're like, this is what made LL Bean famous. They're well, like, they have a boot mobile. Have you seen the boot mobile? <laughs> I follow the boot mo- <laughs> I follow the boot mobile on Instagram, and the boot mobile just like drives around, going to like <laughs> events. It's pretty fantastic. They're, they're sort of like a rubber bottom from like the top of your foot down and then leather uppers. And they were designed by L.L. Bean himself in 1912 and are made pretty much the same way by hand. So I'm really excited about trying them. They're, they come with a note, like a little a little note from the person that made them. I wish I had mine. I would say who made Yours mine. was Rob. Was it was Rob. Rob. Mine it was were, Rob. Mine were yeah, right. I remember. Thank you, Rob. We appreciate you very much. All right. Let's talk about the news. Happy Labor Day weekend, everybody. Yes. Happy Labor Day weekend, everybody, except for those of you that are paying a lot more for camping this year. Happy not so happy <laughs> Labor Day weekend. There is a, a study out. This is from campgroundviews.com that mentions that average nightly rentals for a traditional campsite over Labor Day weekend are up. from last year to their highest rate ever. But the average rate is $31.53, which is better than I thought it would would be. It is better. I love how they tag on this little bit at the end of that that says, but it's still an affordable way to go on vacation. Is it? I mean, I ask that. I mean, I'm legitimately asking that because when the campground prices start to go up, yes, $31 for the spot, but then you have to think about what you have to do to get there, especially if you're traveling long distances. Fuel prices are up. Rigs aren't exactly cheap. There's so many costs that go into now the RV lifestyle that I don't know. I just ask, is it still the most economical way to have a vacation? This is my contention is that it is the most economical way to travel if you are okay with sticking with RVing to travel, you know? So if you want to go buy an RV and you're going to use it a few times a year, but you also want to travel to places that you can't get to via an RV, 
then you're not able to use your RV for those trips. And that expense that went into buying that RV, the the benefit is not applied to that. So, I I mean, I, I think you can, you can travel so much cheaper RVing than you can planes and hotels, but it depends on how much you travel, where you want to travel and how much you're, you want to spend at campgrounds, what kind of amenities you want, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Speaking of difference, speaking of amenities, I actually thought this number was kind of low and I'm not sure why I thought the number was low, but I know that they surveyed, I think around 9,700 campgrounds and of the 9,700 that they surveyed, I think only about 70 of those were a hundred dollars or more a night. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, and a lot of those are in places like, like that campground that's right down in the French quarter in new Orleans. Right. I think that's like 150 bucks a night or or Fort wilderness at, at Disney world places that, you know, you're going to expect are going to be expensive places that have really, really high end amenities and, and only people with million dollar rigs can afford to go there. Uh, Speak for yourself. I just booked us in too. (laughs) We're headed back to New Orleans. No, I actually thought that number was kind of low. Yeah. yeah, Of 9,700 campgrounds, only 70 of those are for $100 or more. Yeah. And, you know, there are plenty of public campgrounds that are are super affordable as well. Though I got to say, and I think we've mentioned this before, sometimes the private campgrounds are cheaper than state parks. Yes, they are. We have found a lot of state parks to be more and more expensive, especially when you have to pay an entrance fee to get into that park. And a lot of states, you don't have to pay an entrance fee if you're a resident or the entrance fee is smaller if you're a resident, um, or you can get an annual entrance fee pass for like 50 bucks. But if you're just going one night, you know, we've, we've spent, I think we spent $47 in mm, one Indiana. One I'm looking ground. at you yeah. right now. That's um, kind of the issue we're running into a little bit right now as we're planning this next leg of our journey is that we're heading into, we're doing up into Omaha for a few days, but then we're headed into South Dakota. And I believe in order to stay in South Dakota parks, we would have to pay an entrance fee each time, or we're debating whether or not we just buy the yearly pass. So this is one of those things now that we're trying to put together the campground roulette, you know, the Tetris pieces are, are we going to be staying in enough state parks while we're in South Dakota that it actually makes sense to purchase the yearly pass? Yeah. Yeah. And it generally, after a few days, it makes sense. So it just, it just depends, but campgrounds are, are still fairly affordable and there are a lot of affordable campgrounds. I don't mean to give the impression that it is an exuberant amount of money to go and camp. I just, since in the two years we have been doing this, it is a little frustrating to watch prices just go up and up and up and it become harder and harder to get a campground spot. Everyone is still willing to pay these prices as they continue to go up. But space is becoming limited yeah. because no one is opening up any more campgrounds. There are no more state parks or national park campgrounds opening. And so they can continue to raise these prices and we will continue to pay them. But you know what is happening that we've noticed, though, is I, and we've seen this a lot in the Facebook groups. A lot of RVers that have a little extra cash are taking over some of these rundown campgrounds that are out there. And, and renovating them. I've seen a lot of RVers that have gotten into the campground business. They might not be new campgrounds, but a lot of campgrounds that were maybe a little bit older are starting to see a little bit of a, a renaissance or a little renovation and rehab. I love that too, because I think when an RVer or someone who has spent a lot of time in the lifestyle then steps into a business where they're pretty fluent in it, they're going to create an environment there. Like an RVer taking a campground knows what other RVers want, knows what they expect when they come there. They're going to be hyper aware of that. Yeah. And so I think then that campground is going to flourish and it is going to have that renaissance. And that is kind of cool. I hadn't seen that in the groups, but I tend to avoid. You don't go into those groups. I don't. Outside of the (laughs) RV Miles Travel Forum and the America's National Parks 
Facebook group, I tend to be one who kind of shies away from social media. Speaking of America's national parks, our latest episode is out as usual. And this week is, it's pretty cool. It's about uh, a road trip or several road trips, actually 10 years worth of road trips. So they missed a couple years that four guys that called themselves the Vagabonds took. And those four regular Joes were Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, Harvey Firestone, who's the tire manufacturer of Firestone Tires, and the naturalist and essayist John Burroughs. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't I don't recognize any of these names. <laughs> Who this? <laughs> and this is back in like they started in I think 1910 uh, or 1914 was the first one, and you know when automobiles were really after the Model T was just invented, you know Ford was making cars available to families all over the country, and he was kind of smart, and he brought documentary film crews along with him, and. Yeah, he was kind of a really smart businessman. (laughs) Yes, kind of a terrible person, but yeah, but (laughs) but a smart businessman. Another podcast story for another day. So anyway, this is this is actually John Burroughs' story of their 1918 trip, as he laid out in one of his uh, in one of his compilations of essays, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. I think it I think it sounds really good. I think you sound really good on it. So I always great episode. I enjoyed reading his words. I, as the actor part of me, really enjoys the opportunity to have a language that's really quite different from our own modern language. I mean, this is a hundred years ago that he was writing this story around a hundred years ago. And it's really incredible how the words he uses to express the environment in which he found himself and the feelings that he had inside that environment, how very different they are. And the pictures and the colors that they painted for me when I was reading it are very different than the kind of pictures and colors I would get reading a modern writer's take on something like that. Yeah. So we hope you'll check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. One final piece of news. This is, this is sort of a, this is a sad story out of Rocky Mountain National Park. We were going to be reporting that this uh, there's a hiker missing uh, and has been missing for uh, a few days. Jay Yambert, age 60, of Urbana, Illinois, was uh, last seen. He was last seen at the Keyhole on Monday, which is a famous destination spot on your way up Long's Peak. He was trying to summit Long's Peak, which is the 14er in the Rocky Mountains. And some other hikers, the last time he was seen was at the Keyhole. I don't know personally the Keyhole, but I do know we have some friends who had made it that far when we tried before you and I were together. Sorry, you weren't actually there, but we were trying to summit Longs. I didn't make it as far as they did. They made it to the Keyhole. And that is, you know, they still say that's no, it's just no joke up there. So we had put this in, in the, uh, in the show notes to talk about today, what you don't know, what I just found as I pulled up the article is that uh, it looks like his body has been found. Oh, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah. The positive identification hasn't happened yet, um, but, uh, but they're pretty sure. Oh, that, that makes me so that sad. So it's actually the second time this year that a body has been found in, in the in Rocky Mountain National Park's backcountry of hikers that have gone missing. So oh, I was really hoping yeah. that that would turn out different, but it's hard to, as the days tick off and he hadn't been seen since Monday, it's hard to keep hoping, but you hope. And that really is unfortunate to hear. Yeah. You know, and the, the, the sad thing is too, we, we get all the national park service press releases and, and we, we honestly don't report on, uh, missing hikers very often because there are so many, uh, we're always seeing notices of missing hikers and they often are, are turning up, unfortunately dead. The thing that is almost always the constant is they're hiking alone, which is, you know, a choice that people make and, and that's okay if, if that's the choice that you make for yourself. But, uh, 
I mean, I've hiked alone and I love it. I've, I find it to be very invigorating and a, a wonderful way to reset. Now, I wouldn't personally hike Long's Peak. Yeah, I, I mean, alone, that's the thing. You got to judge but, the terrain. I mean, I think there are places that it is just not something to consider to hike alone on, on, on some of the more dangerous hikes. It's just it's just not worth it. I mean, you know, you could just it could be something as simple as you you trip and, and you break your ankle. And you're alone Absolutely. for how long, you know? But this person clearly felt that they felt strong in what they were doing. And we don't know the full story of no, why they of were out not. there by themselves. And But what we do know is that, unfortunately, his life has been cut short. And that fills me with sorrow for him and for his family. Yeah. All right. Uh, on that note, let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll try to pick things up a little bit with the answer to last week's brain teaser. We'll be right back. We're back with the answer to last week's brain teaser, which went something like this. In World War I, after issuing helmets to soldiers to try and curb the rate of head injury, head injuries actually increased by 500%. Why is this? And the answer is that because they were actually saving lives. Because a dead person is no longer an injured person. So there were a lot more head injuries because these soldiers were living, even though their head was injured, they were surviving it. So there were a lot more reported injuries to heads instead of just reported deaths. So remember when I said I was going to bring things up a bit when we come back? Wow, Jason. There you go. <laughs> Good job. We actually had a lot of people write in about this one too. Which surprised me because I admit I was fully stumped when we left last week. And I was like, Mm-mm, nobody is really going to want to play this one. But they did. And I got to admit, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit backwards of a I, I can. Yeah, it's not my favorite I, brain teaser we've see, had, Jay. I can see. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. I can I can see maybe getting a few emails saying. Can we get something that a little bit more That didn't sunny? quite make sense. <laughs> but this is actually a common one that has been around for years, too, which is part of why. It's a real stinker. Part of why I used it. And the winner this week is Patty Bellevue from Ohio. Patty will be receiving a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt, and we will have a chance for you to win at the end of the show. All right. We're going to get into our discussion of domicile states and how to choose one, why to choose one, what the whole deal is with the domicile state, what what they even are. What is a domicile? Let's just start right there. What are you talking about? Let's do that. But first, this segment is sponsored by Boondockers Welcome. Built by RVers for RVers, Boondockers Welcome offers a unique and inspiring way to travel, connecting you, the RVer, with welcoming local hosts that have overnight RV parking to spare. Boondockers Welcome is built on the spirit that kindness and generosity abound. And for only $30 a year, you too can arrange as many stays as you like to pass a night with those who love the RV lifestyle as much as you do. And best of all, Boondockers Welcome is offering RV Miles listeners 10% off an annual guest subscription with coupon code RVMILES. That's all one word. Get 10% off an annual guest subscription with code RVMILES. For more information, go visit our friends over at Boondockers Welcome and get started today. That's boondockerswelcome.com, or we'll provide a link in the show notes and you can grab it there too. Let's talk about domicile state. Yeah, so remember that question I had earlier? What is a domicile state? A domicile state is just your declared state of residence. So if you live in a house right now. Is that like that time that Michael Scott declared bankruptcy? <laughs> I declare... <laughs> Resident. I declare domicile. So if I just stand up in a room and just declare that I live in South Dakota, 
does do I just then become a resident of South Dakota? Is that how it works? <laughs> That's not exactly how it works. But uh, <laughs> it actually is a lot more difficult than that. But we're I'm not going to be able to get through this now without just that image of <laughs> Steve Corral brilliantly yelling out that he declares bankruptcy. So there are some important considerations that go into this. So a domicile state is just for people that are full time on the road like us is the state that we choose to consider our residents to be in because legally you have to have a residence address. You just can't get by without a residence address. Unfortunately, you need one on your driver's license. Your bank requires you to have one. Uh, you need one to vote. There are lots of reasons. Where will the penny saver be sent if you <laughs> do not have an address? So most people that are full-time use a mail forwarding service or a friend's address or a family member's address, but often a mail forwarding service like we do to to be their address. And there are some issues with that because some states don't recognize that for some reasons. And the Patriot Act does not allow you to use a mail forwarding address as your bank account address, which is a little weird. So you, you, but you are allowed to use a next of kin. So there are some random issues that go into this. So first of all, people choose domicile states for, for different reasons. There are lots of considerations that, that go in into this. Uh, one is income tax. Uh, so the most popular domicile states don't charge a state income tax if you're going to be working on the road. For some people, that doesn't matter. If you're retired, what do you care if there's an income tax charge because you don't have an income coming in? But there are seven states that don't have an income tax, and those are Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming. And then there are a couple other states that don't tax wages, and that's Tennessee and New Hampshire. So usually, okay, those are going to be the states that we start with. For us, a really important consideration was homeschooling and, and the homeschool laws, because homeschool laws vary drastically from state to state. In some states, like Texas, for instance, there is virtually no law. You almost can get away with absolutely anything when it comes to schooling. You don't have to notify the school district. There's no testing involved. Nothing. You have freedom. Yeah. And that, I think, is personally speaking, I wish it was like that across yeah. the board. In all states, we chose to stay in the state of Illinois because of the homeschool laws there. We had considered moving to Missouri, which is where... My parents live. We often will have mail sent to their house, but we chose not to come to Missouri because they charge a personal property tax. So we would have gotten taxed out the wazoo yeah. for Wanderbus. And that just didn't make any sense to us because we would never be in yeah. this state. But in Missouri, they have the same homeschool laws that they do in the state of Illinois. It was easier for us to just stick with Illinois now that we've been on the road for a while, we're starting to feel like maybe that's not so much the case anymore. Yeah. And we are considering Texas for that reason. And there is a cost to, to do this. So we'll yeah, it is expensive a, to bet. But um, but we we're getting charged income tax in Illinois. So that is one reason for us to change. But a big consideration is where are you already? Is the state that you're already in somewhere that might be your domicile state that might make sense? Uh, that's always a, a, a an important consideration because it doesn't require you to go somewhere else to get driver's licenses and all that. That said, going somewhere to get your driver's license is an important consideration as well. So for that reason, we can cut Alaska off the list for most people. Yeah. You're not going to be driving up to get your driver's license renewed in Alaska. Maybe they do mail in now. <laughs> well, I a lot of states do mail in, yeah. but it's usually just for a short amount of time. South Dakota is a state that only requires you to have your driver's license renewed every five years. So they are often considered a, a very RVer friendly domicile, domicile state. state. What are there are three that are really heavily yeah. RV friendly, so right? So we talked about one, Texas, the other one, South South Dakota, and the other one is Florida. Those are the most commonly chose domicile states for 
for it's just really in Florida's best interest <laughs> to be as RV friendly as possible. Yeah, I mean, there are so <laughs> many RVers already in Florida, so there are different advantages and disadvantages to those different states. And there are people that choose other states. Like Nevada is, is becoming somewhat popular, uh, but another important consideration is: do they have these mail forwarding services in these states? And because Texas and Florida are such RV heavy states. There are a lot of snowbirds that go to these states and spend a lot of time there during the winter. They have sort of an infrastructure built in place. So there are mail forwarding services in these states. And not only are there mail forwarding services, these services work hard to help you get set up as uh, as declaring a domicile in, in that state, which means your vehicle registration, uh, your insurance, all that sort of stuff. Doesn't escapers or escapees also offer that service uh-huh. for you? Yeah, they'll they're, take and they're care kind of, all of the that. biggest one. And you yeah. can domicile with escapees in Texas or in Florida. They're, most of their customers are in Texas, I believe. But uh, they also have a, a Florida address as well. I find that very appealing. Yeah. I, I will say the one thing about for us to switch is it does feel really daunting and, and just really kind of overwhelming. But man, if I could just hand all that over to someone and be like, yep, this is what I want to do. Exactly. And then they go and do it for me. I love that idea. I mean, you do have to go down there and you have to fill out a bunch of forms. You have to pay some fees. Texas is kind of expensive to register your vehicles there for the first time. Some people call it the sort of like the newcomer, the new resident tax, uh, because it is a little bit expensive to go there. The first time. So the advantages of of Texas are, like I said, those homeschool laws. There's no income da- tax. You can renew the driver's license remotely uh, one time. Another thing to consider is health insurance plans, because health insurance plans are state by state. And some states have better plans than others, uh, especially on the on the Affordable Care Act exchange. So Texas has multiple health insurance plans available. Uh, there's a there is a vehicle inspection required in Texas, and that's the main drawback there. An annual vehicle inspection is required, uh, but they do allow you to postpone it until you enter the state the next time. So if you're not going to enter the state, you know, for a while, you can postpone it, but you have to get it like within the first three days of being back in Texas. And Texas is kind of central, and a lot of full time RVers are going to end up in Texas a lot anyway. How do they know when you come back into Texas? Like within well, they don't, three days? Yeah. They I don't, mean, they you don't, don't have to like know, pass but, a checkpoint. I'm but, just, I mean, this yeah. is just me being like, how would they know if I swung back into Texas for a few days to grab some stuff and then popped back out? Yeah, they, they probably wouldn't, but you know, I wouldn't want to risk it. I know it's honor and, system. Yeah, I, yeah. you should definitely go by the honor system, but I just think it's interesting where they're like within three days. How do you know? Did you like scan my chip when I came into the state? Like, I'm just curious. The other disadvantage of Texas is that is it is one of those states that requires a a, a special driver's license, a, a non-commercial class A. This is not a CDL, but it's a non-commercial class A driver's license if your RV is over 26,000 pounds weight rating. And there are about 17 states that have that. And, and Texas is one of them. So that is a little bit of an, an annoyance. Um, and that's one of the things that is also keeping me a little leery of Texas because we do fall under that with Wanderbus. South Dakota is interesting because it's not one of those snowbird states, right? And it is one of those states that is a little bit more difficult to get to for a lot of people. But a lot of RVers are choosing South Dakota because they have no income tax, low vehicle excise taxes, jury duty exemptions are really easy. That's another thing you got to consider. So if you're outside of the state and you get a notice for jury duty, you can just say, I'm not going to be back in the state and, and you should be pretty good. They have no vehicle inspections, low insurance costs. And like I said, you only have to renew your driver's license every five years. The disadvantage of, of South Dakota is there, the limitations on some of the uh, insurance policies under the Affordable Care Act that you can get in that state. 
Well, we'll feel right at home there because yeah. <laughs> Illinois is, they're awful. They're just awful on the exchange. And, you know, if you, you need to, you need to spend some time in whatever state that you're going to domicile in. They, they always suggest that you, you know, if you're going to have like storage, that you have your storage in that state, you just try to make some ties in that state to make sure it's really kind of legal what you're doing and then you're not just taking advantage of the state. And that is a little bit harder to do in South Dakota. Oh, I don't know. know. It seems really hard to do for Texas right now too. And I think about our five by five storage unit up in Chicago. But say you go to Texas and you, you're going to spend two months there for the winter every year. You know, that's really, you're spending a good amount of time in making connections in the community and that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. It all all shakes down in the end. Florida, uh, the challenge with Florida is there's a lot of people in Florida and it's really hard to just even get <laughs> well, a the <laughs> campground. The, the insurance rates in Florida, Florida are, are pretty high and you have to have VIN inspections of your vehicles for the initial registration. The other issue that is coming up is that Florida is making it more difficult for people who use a mail forwarding address to vote. And in fact, there's a, there's an opinion from the Florida department of state saying that you can't use a mail forwarding address as a voting address. They're rescinding voter registration from people that are registered at some of these places at some of these addresses and not allowing new voter registration. So that's a real problem for, for a lot of people. Um, And voting is a, is a big consideration. If, if you, want to make a difference, you know, depending on what party you're for or what you care about the state you choose, your vote might matter more than the other state that you choose. So it is something, something to certainly consider. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not cool. The other thing is that the homeschool laws are a little bit more difficult in Florida, though there are some workarounds for it, but they do require annual testing in in Florida. Yeah. You can just sign up for one of those Homeschool these testing, umbrella, umbrella, umbrella schools. schools. Yeah. You're fine. You're good to go. Uh, so those are, are pretty much the states that people choose and, and the reasons they choose them in order to go actually make the transition to, to a domicile state. The first thing I would suggest is to use a service like escapees who will walk you through the process and have all kinds of information to help you figure it out. But you are going to need to go to this state. You're going to need to spend a little bit of time there and get your uh, you're going to have to get your mail forwarding service set up in order to then go get your driver's license done and and all that sort of stuff. So really, you know, and there's always the issue with getting your driver's license like they often want to have a piece of mail from your address. So sometimes you have to have your mail, some mail sent to you at that address before you go get your driver's license. So there's a lot of little needles to thread. So it's really important to use one of these services that kind of know what they're doing. So we want to suggest escapees, uh, St. Brendan's Isle in Florida, or also escapees in Florida and in South Dakota. In South Dakota, we used to recommend people go to my Dakota address. But if you remember a few weeks ago, we mentioned that they actually went under and didn't tell and and told people on the day they went under uh, and people had to really scramble to figure out their mail issues. I don't even think they told people the day they went under. I almost feel like it was an afterthought. This is happening on Monday. Oh, by the way, it's Wednesday, <laughs> just so you guys know. Yeah. So what we want to recommend in South Dakota is you use America's Mailbox, uh, which is in Rapid City. The The advantage to them is that they have a campground on site and a, and a guest house. Because the thing is in, in South Dakota, you have to show, you can show a campground receipt as your address when you go to get your driver's license. So you can sort of go there, stay at their campground, and then you have the receipt to show when you go get your license. So you could use America's Mailbox. Escapees is actually now offering South Dakota as well. You still get your mail forwarded from Texas, but the but the address you can use for your driver's license and such is 
in South Dakota. I want to point you to, if you're interested in knowing more about this, I want to point you to the uh, the website technomadia.com. They have a good article, and I pulled some of the stuff that I mentioned today, and it was sort of uh, my guide when we were starting to look for what we were going to do for picking a domicile state, and they keep it updated, which is great. Uh, so it's uh, we'll pro- provide a link in the show notes. Technomadia is really great in general for technology on the road and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but we'll link to their website in the show notes. All right. That's domicile states. I feel like I've learned so much. Have I have, because I'll be perfectly honest. It's going to be very clear when people listen to this. I was awful quiet the whole time. <laughs> That's because Jason handled all of this when it was time to go full time. And I did not. So when he was like, I would love to talk about this. I know a whole bunch of stuff about it. I looked at him and I said, that's great because I know nothing about it. So you're going to be doing a lot of talking in that segment, babe. (laughs) All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, more of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City part two. Yeah, for all you hotshot fans out there. (laughs) We'll be right back. We'll be right back. All right, we're back and we're here to talk about some more Oklahoma City. It is very surprising that we have a second follow-up episode on Oklahoma I City. Say, but o- man, Oklahoma City. They have won us over. I know. You know, I my brother lives in Oklahoma City with my soon-to-be sister-in-law. And the second time around that we were there, I just looked at him and I said, You've been here for four years, and I want you to know that you have done a really bad job about selling this city to your family, like a really bad job. So our, our first discussion of Oklahoma city was back on our route 66 uh, episode, episode number 45. And we talked about a few different things to do, uh, including the, of course, the Oklahoma city bombing Memorial, uh, which is a really inspiring place. And uh, about the fact that it's such a food town that there's a lot of great food in, in Oklahoma city. Uh, Fuzzy's tacos. Yeah. Let's just oh, keep talking about those all day long. Oh, man. So Which, good. Uh, watch, I guess there is, Hey, I didn't tell you this. So we're in Kansas city right now. We're back in Kansas city. There's one near here. Cause it is a chain. You probably, now. You probably shouldn't have told me there that. Is, I'm going to need those nachos. Is now a Fuzzy's tacos near here. They're nachos. They're spicy pork nachos mm. done all day. Just those nachos. But we were able to go to some new places. Some of them we talked about on that episode, but this time we were actually able to spend some time at these places. But we just wanted to mention some of the some of the other cool things that that we did and that there are able that you're able to do in this really neat town. And the first one of those is the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum. Yeah. Now, before you go, whoa, 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 Jason and Abby, come on now. No. Give this place a shot. This place was awesome. And of course, a lot of people would be like, like me, like, yeah, of course it was awesome. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> I love Western art and, and cowboy stuff. And Sorry, I just, I'm just like Cindy Lauper over here. I'm just showing my true colors. Sorry. The, we talked about it a little bit, uh, I think last week too, but the, the cowboy museum is, it's not what any of us thought going into it's it's so well done and it ranges from like super fine art gallery to super fun kids play areas and old western towns to walk through and everything in between yeah i think that this is kind of a really great setup for oklahoma city in general to me okc has always just been maybe like a weekend or i'm just passing through through route 66 on my way to something more exciting They're really having a renaissance here in this town. And I cannot recommend enough that if you are interested in going there, that you make it a four or five, even a week long. It is a it it is a family destination for sure. 
there are so many things that we were able to do with our kids. And this particular museum, what I appreciated so much about it as a mom with children who tend to have one volume setting, and that seems to be on like the louder end, is that they really encourage families to, yes, you're in a museum, but they say, laugh, talk, have a great time, encourage your children to interact and discuss what's happening inside this museum here. They want kids to be kids. Now, that doesn't mean they want kids like, you know, climbing all over the marble statues or anything, but I appreciated that I didn't have to feel like with my boys always going, shh, you have to remember we're in a museum. Bring your voice down. We could just talk and they could talk and be themselves. And I felt okay about it because, you know, the museum like gives you permission the minute you walk in the door. It's great. Totally. So what you're going to get here is a, a few different galleries of some of the best Western art that you're going to find anywhere. The, these giant canvases of sunsets over mesas and, and, you know, cowboys on horseback and, and just everything stereotypical about that, but it's so wonderful. Tons of amazing sculptures, a lot of native American art, a lot of historic uh, saddles and cowboy hats and Western wear. Uh, there's a whole section on uh, Western movies and the art of Western movies. And then there's a, a giant Western town that, that was you my and the kids part. can walk through and, so much fun. and, and play in all the different... Uh, I mean, it's massive, but it's also indoors, which is cool because it's air conditioned and it gets hot in Oklahoma City. Yes, it does. Uh, and then there's a whole separate building that is that is a children's uh, a play museum area. And and the grounds are just gorgeous. Lots of sculptures out on the grounds, lots of streams and waterfalls. And, and Don't expect uh, it to be very peaceful, though, because it's tucked up right next to the highway. Yeah. So yeah. it's not there's a little noise. It, a, a little. <laughs> there's a lot of noise. But it's a really well done museum, and I was pleasantly surprised, and I ate my words on going there. You did. I did, and I look forward to returning. And if you want to keep sort of that cowboy pioneer theme going, I guess is the best way to put it, another really great place that we checked out that was just an all-day excursion was Frontier City. It's an amusement park. I'd say it's um, a medium-sized amusement park. Like it's not as big as it's not a six Flags. Yeah. It's not as big as a six flags. Um, But it's like a world's of fun. I mean, which is what we have here in Kansas, but it does have, it has like real sized roller coasters and and stuff. And um, I love how shocked you are by that. Like it has real sized roller coasters. No, it had, it had several thrill rides. I don't want to, I don't want to undersell it. I don't want to make it sound like a, a small amusement park that, that has like, you know, not no, it was like a medium sized amusement park. It had a little bit of everything for everyone. The boys, what did you guys ride? The Renegade Rapids about five times. Yeah. Five times. Yeah. yeah. So what was really cool is our kids are not real thrill seekers. They do not care for roller coasters whatsoever. And we amazingly got them on this Rapids ride. You know, it's where you get in the circular boat and you're going to go through rapids and you're going to get splashed and you know, you're going to laugh and have a great time. They've never had any interest in doing this with us. And we got on as a family, all five of us, Henry was big enough. I can't believe Henry is big enough, but he's big enough now. I know it's like this little piece of me just cried. We all got on our first, and I'm doing air quotes here, thrill ride together. And they loved it. They loved it. They loved getting wet. They loved sort of the thrill of whether or not the water was going to splash on them or if the boat was going to turn and get somebody else. They had so much fun. We did it once together. We came back. You guys were going to go and I was going to stay. And at the last minute, I was like, no, no, no. You know what? This is the only ride we all really all ride together. I'm going with my family. So I ran after you guys. I caught up, got in the boat with you and proceeded to get head to toe completely drenched while the rest of you all sat there and laughed at me with your dry clothes the whole time. 
<laughs> and then I said, oh, you guys want to write it again? That sounds great. I'm going to be over here trying to dry off in the sun. And then you and the boys, I think, wrote it like another three or four times yeah. after that. Yeah. While I was still dripping, I was so wet and I had jean shorts on. I was so wet that water was just dripping off the shorts, running down my legs into my keens. And everyone else getting off that ride was just dry as could be. (laughs) (laughs) You were so. Yeah, you you really got a good laugh out of that. So I'm actually on their website right now because I, I was trying to remember what their their deal was. Um, the, the, you know, this is the thing with amusement parks is late in the season, you can often get extra deals. And right now they were charging, I think their ticket price was like, um, $47 or something like that, but it was, it was automatically a season ticket for the rest of the season. And you could use it for the rest of the season as many days as you wanted to go. That's such a which great makes deal. Awesome deal. Yeah. But, because they go all the way into the end of the year on the weekends because yeah. they had like a. Christmas banner up for events coming up. But you know what? We didn't, I didn't realize when we were there, I never saw this, any signage of this anywhere. They are actually a Six Flags park. (laughs) No, they're not. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's so funny. I didn't get an inkling that they had anything to do with Six Flags. They they don't, I don't, they don't sell themselves as a Six Flags park. And I think that's probably because they're a a bit smaller, but. um, Because they don't have a Superman ride. Maybe. Anyway, moving on, uh, the next place that we want to talk about, this is my most favorite thing I've done in a very, very long time. And I got to do a lot of it. So that's yeah, why it was special for me. This place is called River Sport OKC. And River Sport is in the Boathouse District. And what this is, is a complex uh, uh, where Olympic athletes train for for flat water and white water events, uh, the the Oklahoma River. I don't know. If, I think it's the Oklahoma River. Whatever the river is that goes through there is very flat, uh, and there's a lot of rowing that happens on it. And yes, I said white water. They have white water rafting. They have a man made white water rafting course, and this is where the Olympic kayakers do their qualifying trials, and there. Are, Jack and I were able to do this. It is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Now you guys didn't do kayaks. Let's get that clear. No, you no. guys did so a, whitewater a whitewater raft and, and, and went down this just like you would whitewater raft in Colorado or somewhere else, which I've done. And I'm telling you this man-made course is comparable to that. You guys looked like you were having a blast. It's cool, and it's it is it take it's a sh- it's fairly short, but there are actually two courses, and they take you through it three times. So the whole experience lasts like an hour and a half, and uh, uh, like half of that is spent on the water. Yeah, you guys were out there for a good long while. Yeah, there's a really short video that we have up on the Our Wandering Family Facebook page. Maybe we can link to it for the show notes, yeah. but. It's so cute because you see them coming through and I'm trying to film them. And we're, we had, I was with Ethan and Henry and we stayed behind. And so we had been kind of running all over. There's a path that's on the outer part of the whole course. So you can go to different points and, and watch the rafters. We had been running all over the place trying to figure out, have they, have they left? Are they coming across over, you know, where are they? Where are they? We finally see you guys. And Henry is just over the moon. He's like yelling at you. He's trying to get Jack to talk to him. You know, he's just screaming your guys' name. And I'm like, Henry, you need to be quiet. They're trying to focus. And this little video at the very end of it, you just see him running after you guys. Like he (laughs) just, oh my gosh. They loved watching you and Jack come through. And I was so proud of Jack. Yeah, we're taking on that job. course yeah, for somebody who's apprehensive about stuff like that. He did. He, he did so great. I was right really proud of for him. it. He did. And there are other things to do there besides water activities. They have, um, they have a zip line, which I got to do line, a zip which, line that goes across the river and then back. And it's something you have to think about in advance because they do have, depending on the wind for that day, they, they change the, 
the weight minimum. So the weight minimum was actually 175 pounds while we were there because it was a little bit windy. So Abby wasn't able to do it. It was the one. And I real, was the yeah. only one that could. <laughs> yeah. Nobody in the family got to do it. But Jason, I, it was the one real thing too that I was very much looking forward to. And it didn't happen. It yeah. looked like fun though. I filmed you having yeah, fun. I did. <laughs> Just like I did on the rapids. They also have a, a ropes course where you get in a harness and you sort of climb uh, this tower and go across different obstacles high up in the air, uh, which is very popular. And and then they have kayaks that you can use and 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 things like that to go out in the water, stand up paddle boards and a kids a kids rope course and a big kids like play area with one of those giant bouncy pillows that they have at campgrounds. Yeah. You know, I will say though, you know, we have a five-year-old and eight-year-old and uh, at the time he was 10, he just turned 11 today as we're recording this. It was his birthday. But I think that this is really an outing that is for families with older kids. Yeah. Yeah. Jack's age or older. Well, unless you have a, um, you know, you can't get on the rapids unless you're eight or older yeah. anyway. But unless you have a younger one who is really, really quite the daredevil, Ethan and Henry had a few things they could do, but I'm not quite sure that what they could do met the price point for what you would pay to have them be able to yeah. go and do this. Now, what is cool, though, is this entire complex. You get a wristband and you can do a whole bunch of different things with your wristband. Uh, but this whole entire complex, you can walk around. You don't have to have the wristband. So one or two people can be doing the stuff while the others are just hanging out and watching. And they do have a big park that is available for the younger kids that is not that d- there's no admission required for that. And and you can leave and come back. So uh, I mean, I would yeah. actually really love to. They have a bar as well yeah. inside the uh, yeah. visitor center food. and food. I would actually find it very enjoyable to grab one of the chairs that they have. They have a bunch of chairs and a bunch of seating areas like set up around the whitewater track. I would love to grab a beer and some food and grab a seat and just watch kayakers put in and go through the course, watch people coming down in the rafts. Like that is all incredibly enjoyable just to watch. Yeah. I could absolutely do that and drink a beer. It was a great time, and uh, at least for me, <laughs> and I'm so happy we were able to do it. The next place we want to mention, uh, this is a place that, Ab- that Abby didn't go to. She stayed home. I had to and, work. And the kids and I went. This is the Banjo Museum. It's the National Banjo Museum, actually. And I have no huge interest in banjos like I, I fiddle around with a guitar and and jack's new ukulele here and then um and none of us really did but this is one of those opportunities to go to one of these museums that there are all over the place about something that you just may not ha- have a, an involvement and in. you may not have a connection to but you go there and you see the the pride and the craftsmanship in these instruments and no matter who you are, you'd be taken in by this place. They have over $10 million worth of banjos in this place. You can also go into a room and play the banjos as well. They have banjos well, there for like the, the kids, kids can loved. bring them down oh, and, man. and learn how to play. They have interactive videos you can click on and teach you different little techniques with the banjos. And banjos, are, which we found out, are the uh the only real american instrument they were actually invented by slaves and sort of based off of african string instruments and they have some of these original banjos there uh from you know pre civil war uh on up to on up to the 20s when they were were just full of these this wonderful craftsmanship there was one that was carved like a carousel. They're gilded in gold. Um, they're beautiful. And I, I never knew this, but the back of most banjos have some sort of scene or carving uh, or, or inlays on the back of them. And that's actually kind of the beautiful part of them. And you don't never, you never see that you on TV. You get to see it. Um, they have 
the Muppets banjo, Kermit there with his little banjo uh, from from the Muppet Show. Yeah, it was great it's how much great you how much you guys enjoyed it. You came home that night. We had dinner, and the kids just talked and talked, and you you talked and talked, and I was so pleasantly surprised and pleased by how much they had learned and how much information. I was almost glad I didn't go because then they had someone fresh to share all their knowledge with. Yeah. I was, it was an absolute blast. And I would say it's, it's maybe an, an hour, an hour and a half visit. It's not a huge visit, but it's also a fairly affordable uh, place to go. I think it's, I think it's like eight bucks and they have music on certain nights and it's, 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 I cannot recommend it enough. It's in the Bricktown district where there's all kinds of food and cool things to do. Yeah. This is a really interesting thing about Oklahoma city too, is they have all these little districts, all these little pockets that have really unique features about them. So there's Bricktown and in Bricktown, there's a couple really great places to eat. There's a nice little river walk. The um, Oklahoma city Dodgers play in Bricktown. There is the Adventure District, which is where um, Science Museum Oklahoma is and which will segue nicely into this next thing we can talk about, which is the Oklahoma City Zoo, which we've been to quite a few zoos in our time. We've been to a lot of zoos. And this is up there for me Mm -hmm. in one of the Mm -hmm. best zoos I've been to. I'm excited that in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in Omaha and we're going to be going to the Omaha Zoo. And I'm really curious because that is supposed to be one of the best zoos in the country. And I'm really curious to put it up against the one we just went to here because I loved this zoo. I would come back on a regular basis. Yeah. The first great thing about this zoo is that they have an entire section. You know, zoos are usually divided up in lands and or, or countries or continents. An entire section that's just for kids, just like really kids theme stuff and a lot of it, there's they have a, a sort of man-made waterfall and and, and stream creek a creek and, yeah. thing that they, the kids get to play in it's all that rubberized bottom uh stuff and then and uh and and fountains to play in and, and things like that and then in that same area they have a a lorikeet experience where you go in and uh, in into sort of this enclosure where all these lorikeets are, these little beautiful tropical birds, and you can take you can get little cups of nectar to take take in with you there, and they land on you and they drink it. Uh, or if you're sweaty like me, they just come and land on you anyway because <laughs> they just were so attracted. They were to so you. attracted to. You. I had four I, on me at once. <laughs> I did not go into this exhibit. I appreciate birds. I'm just birds aren't really my thing. And so I, the guys all went and I sat and they had this place called grandma's porch there in the children's zoo area, which just like a rows of rocking chairs. So I sat there with my iced coffee and I was just going to rock for a little bit and chill. And I get this text from Jason and it's a picture of him with just birds all over him. And he's like, get in here. You have to come in here. So I did. And um, the kids were having a great time and Jason was having a great time. And all I could think of was, please don't let a bird land on me. Please don't (laughs) let a bird. Are you guys ready to go? Have you guys had enough? Does everybody want to go now? If you do not like having birds in your face, (laughs) you don't want to go in here. But if you enjoy like really being able to like get up close with, and they're kind of, I don't want to say they're aggressive, but they'll nip at you a little bit. Yeah. And they'll, they'll let you know they're there. So just, you know, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there for anyone who might be listening. That's like, got like, it's like an Annalise has got a little, little bird phobia going on. So, you know, mostly they lick you though. So, you know, also if you don't like being licked, (laughs) <laughs> Don't go in here. I mean, the other thing yeah. we really loved at this zoo is they have this this section called Oklahoma Trails. Yeah, this was amazing. And this is uh, it is a, a sort of a, a walkway, like mostly wooded and some bridges and 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 things. 
through exhibits of animals that are, are um, native to Oklahoma or were native to Oklahoma, which is a lot of animals, you know, surprisingly like alligators and, and ones that you wouldn't expect uh, that might not be there now, but were at one time. The best part of this was though, they have a, a grizzly bear enclosure and we had the greatest experience seeing grizzly bears playing in the water and swimming around and shaking off. And it was so cool. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen with my own eyes grizzlies swimming around in the water. No, no, nor the few times we've seen them at zoos there, you know, you're lucky to see them at all. If they're not sort of laying around hiding somewhere in, in behind a bush or trees or something like that. Yeah. It was a shame that the zoo was just moments away from closing. Cause I would love yeah. to have spent a little bit more time there, but we had to get going. Great zoo. And it's, I have to say, it's really affordable. And this is the one thing about zoos I've noticed lately is it's getting harder and harder for a larger family to go and not have to drop a hundred dollars just to get in the door. Yeah. Zoos have, have become very expensive. And I understand part of that is because of the needs of the zoo. I understand sure. that like the, the quality and the need of the animals and the life that they're trying to provide but, those animals there. But, but this is, a, this is a top tier zoo and the adult ticket is $11 child ticket is $8. Yeah. And if you want to get their zoo at all, which is an, just an open-ended pass to every single thing that you can do there. Yeah. This gives you the, like the train, the carousel, the lorikeet thing, the shows, everything. everything. $30 for an adult. $30, $29 for an adult and 24 for a child or senior, that's cheaper than entrance to most zoos across the country. Yeah, so for it's, sure. It's, it's a great deal. We think it's, uh, it's really cool. So definitely check that out if you're in the area. And finally, let's wrap it up with a little pizza talk, Jason. What, what would a trip anywhere be <laughs> without pizza? Seriously. So, we had pizza tonight for Jack's birthday. We did. It's just birthday pizza. So there's a really great place in the Oklahoma city area. There's several of these restaurants around there. It's called hideaway pizza. Yeah. And the best part about hideaway pizza, and this is a thing that I'm sure exists other places, but I've never seen this anywhere is you can order a pizza that literally every single slice is a different flavor, a different set a different of toppings. Topping. I wish I could remember exactly what it was called. Yeah. Really good. It has a little bit of um, what we like to call a quad cities flavor to it with the crust a little malty yeah. a little yeasty it's the hideaway special sorry of course I'm, I'm it Googling is it of course that, i mean that's so obvious that that would be what it was called yeah and the, the the different sizes have have different slices on them but the the large one is bacon hamburger pepperoni sausage black olives mushrooms red onions and green bell peppers hamburger roma tomato polish sausage and pineapple these are all different individual slices it was it was a lot of fun it's it really was neat. a lot of good and they also are known for their world famous fried mushrooms. I do not care for mushrooms, although as I'm starting to get a little bit older, I'm I'm warming up to them a little bit more. So I felt like I had to try them because they they're world famous. I mean, you tell me something's world famous and I'm most likely going to eat it. So these were really good as a not big fan of mushrooms as like, a, you know, I lean more towards the no, no, thank you. When it comes to a mushroom, I ate plenty of these. I did dip them in ranch. You know, it always helps when you dip something in ranch, right? <laughs> but I would say absolutely try the mushrooms. They have a really unique breading on them. The pizza was a lot of fun. We all had a great time. It's a little on the pricey side. Yeah, but it, but it's it's sort of it's specialty pieces. But it's and, specialty and the, and pizzas. It. Yeah, yeah. Totally. and we just did carry out for ours, but they also looked like they had a great sort of restaurant vibe going on as well. So that is our pizza recommendation for Oklahoma City. In the next few weeks, when we break down Omaha, you can guarantee we're also going to have a pizza recommendation there. If you're listening and you happen to live in the Omaha area, or you have frequented Omaha, where should we go get pizza? Let us know. Send us an email over at editor at rvmiles.com and, and point us in the right direction towards the best pepperoni. All right, let's wrap this episode up with a brain teaser. Go for it. This one's a riddle. It goes like this. 
I burnt the beef, but I'm not in the kitchen. You can read me, but I'm not written. Some might say I'm an outdated tradition. What am I? And we'll have the answer to that and a whole lot more on next week's episode of the RV Miles podcast. You better believe we will. And thank you so much for joining us this week. We say it every week, but we are so glad you are here. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would be so grateful for a five-star review wherever you're listening. And also feel free to drop us a note if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear, or if you'd like to even suggest some travel destinations. We are always game to hear from you. You can find us over at editor at rvmiles.com. But until then, have a fantastic week, everyone. Keep logging those RV miles and enjoy the extra long weekend. You've earned it. See you next week. Bye.